Hello. Boy, it's tough. It's tough getting through to you. You got uh, armed security down there. What's going on? Yeah, it's tough, man, because I'm uh, <laughs> I'm VIP. <laughs> oh, dear. Are you ready? Are you ready at all for episode number 30? Are you ready to get this thing started or you want to you want to kibitz, you want to chat, you want to tell me uh, anything before we start recording, which is already too late because we've already started recording. No, let's let's get into episode 30. Okay. Jay Ham in Vegas, rooming with Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12. <laughs> Golf over gambling, I'm assuming, because when I go to Vegas, I'm excited from the moment I get off the plane for the first, like, 48 hours. I can't even contain myself. And then about 48 hours later, I'm like, when are we going home? But But part of it is because of the gambling for me. I know that that's not an, an intriguing part of Vegas for you. I'm assuming that golf is in the forecast for Jason D. Hamilton. It is in the rearview mirror for Jason D. Hamilton. Already, You've already played golf in Vegas. I have already played golf and most likely will not play golf again. Oh, boy. Did you play down there at Shadow Creek where they had the big match between yeah. Tiger and, uh, and Phil? Yeah, not unless you're paying. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not paying the, five, the 500 shells to get out there, no. Um, but, it, you know, it was fine. It was right. fine. I'm down here to, to call some basketball games, so it was all good. Well, let's hope you call a few basketball games. This is episode number 30, and I'm not bragging. Tons of NFL stories, and there's no way we can get to them all. College admission scandal as a parent of a junior in high school who's going through the process right now and a longtime admirer of Lori Laughlin, I'm captivated with this story. Larry Scott's Vegas accommodations are being scrutinized. Jay Ham playing Hurt in episode 29. We'll get to that. Listener tweets, the first ever unfiltered madness bracket contest. And the guests today on episode number 30, Jay Ham. Listeners have been asking, as you know, for weeks now, Will you be interviewing the coaches of the less prominent NCAA tournament teams like in the past? And I have been worried when, in fact, there was no need to be worried. As at the time of this recording, how many teams do you think have made the NCAA tournament? Oh, gosh, probably six or eight. Okay. So it's Liberty, Gardner-Webb, Iona, Bradley, Murray State, Wofford. That's six. Northern Kentucky is 7, Northeastern is 8, Fairleigh Dickinson is 9, St. Mary's is 10, North Dakota State is 11. Okay? okay. 11 teams as of the recording of this episode have made it to the NCAA tournament. I have already spoken to 6 of the head coaches and 3 are on my schedule tomorrow. So I love that. I'm already Fantastic. 9 I'm already 9 deep into the interview series with the college basketball coaches that have made the NCAA tournament. So, I've selected three of the six that I've already talked to for this episode number 30. The other ones that I've talked to that don't make this episode will be, of course, on the Patreon site for the patrons out there. Let me tell you who I've chosen for this episode as we tease episode number 30. Three guys, and I think all of them have great stories. All of these guys have unique stories. It's what I love so much about the process of interviewing some of these smaller school coaches. But the three that I've chosen have particularly interesting stories. Not necessarily in any order. Murray State is in the NCAA tournament. Jayham, they were the first team to qualify for the tournament. And their head coach, Matt McMahon, will be on this episode of Mitch Unfiltered. 
has a great story to tell about his assistants going to recruit a kid in South Carolina, and they ended up in an auxiliary mm. gym to pick up their stuff, and they noticed a three-on-three pickup game going on half court in that auxiliary gym, and one guy was playing of the six that caught this assistant coach's eye, and he was like, okay, this guy is unbelievable. Who is this guy? He's going to tell us that story on Mitch Great. Unfiltered, episode 30. So there's one. Number yeah. two is a guy named Greg Horrenda. You won't know him by name. He's the head coach of Fairleigh Dickinson University, who has qualified for the NCAA tournament. I spoke with him today, and he told me the story of 11 months ago, Jay Ham being at the Final Four in San Antonio and getting sick and ending up in the hospital fighting for his life in San Antonio for two weeks. Got better, got stronger, returned to his team, and took him to the NCAA tournament one year later. He's going to tell us that story. And then the last guy, and his name is Richie McKay. Now, why, Never heard of him. why did I choose Richie McKay for episode number 30? <laughs> I've never heard of him. Yes, you have heard of him. Uh, he was a, an SPU basketball star as a player. He had two different stints on the Washington coaching staff as a graduate assistant and the other as an assistant to Bob Bender. He's had four or five different college basketball jobs. And while he was at Washington... He will tell the story of recruiting an incredibly likable guard. Not particularly athletic or very good, but a pretty good guy <laughs> at a Hazen High School. And he lost him to San Diego State the first time, but they got him to transfer back to the University of Washington. Do you know who that guy is, J.M.? I've never heard of Richie McKay in my life. And whatever you say about it and whatever he says about it, I'm saying it's lies. <laughs> All right. Richie McKay is going to tell his Jason Hamilton stories and his memories of Jason Hamilton as a player. He's the head coach of Liberty and he's going to the NCAA tournament. Mitch Unfiltered is available on all the big podcast platforms like Spotify and SoundCloud and, of course, iTunes. Listen, subscribe, and rate. You can go to MitchUnfiltered.com. I have a favor to ask. If you haven't been able to keep up, go back and listen to all the episodes you missed. Even if you just click play for a few moments, it'll help. And become a patron for as little as $5 a month. I'm adding content at a record-setting pace, Jason, every day now. With all these interviews that I'm doing, there's more and more. It's all brought to you, Episode 30, by Daniels Broiler. Whether it's a birthday anniversary or another special occasion, you won't find a better spot to celebrate with the best steaks anywhere, fabulous seasonal seafood, and the service and ambiance to match. Leshy Marina, South Lake Union, Bellevue Place, and now on the second floor of the new Hyatt Regency in downtown Seattle. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest right here in Bellevue with offices in Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley, managing over $2 billion in assets. And Zeke's Pizza, all of its fabulous locations where there's no better place to have some pizza, craft beer, all while watching a sporting event. That's my go-to place. In fact, next week, I'm going down to the brand-new Tacoma location at the UW Tacoma campus to watch a little NCAA tournament action. I hope our friends in the South Sound region of the Northwest, will join us at Zeke's Tacoma, the newest Zeke's location. Are you ready for episode number 30? I am. So am I. Here it comes. Unfiltered. 
it's okay to have a game plan going in. But when you're so stubborn and unwilling to get away from it because the other team is essentially daring you to do so, then we get into stupidity. Unfiltered. Guess that's what really kind of infuriates me, that we go to the offseason after a game that the quarterback was really not given a chance to win the football game for you. That's a quarterback who's the face of the organization. That's a quarterback who, as I say, in a couple of years or in a year, they're going to give, I don't know, $25, $30 million a year to. And yet, it just feels to me like they took the ball out of his hands. Mitch is unfiltered. Okay, episode number 30, Mitch in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm excited to say Jason Hamilton on the line from Vegas where he's ready to call some Pac-12 tournament action. All right, as you know, Sunday's a big day in the world of sports, Jay Hamilton. This is Election Mm -hmm. Sunday. We will have a bracket in our hands come Sunday, and I do want to make mention that we have put together, thanks to Evergreen Golf Call, an incredible bracket contest. It's got to be the best bracket contest in the Northwest of any podcast or radio station or anywhere. We have three grand prize trips, weekend getaways to Napa Valley, a weekend getaway to San Francisco, a weekend getaway to Portland. Uh, Zeke's Pizza has thrown in gift cards. We've got a Daniel's gift certificate for patrons. So when you're filling out your bracket on Sunday, wherever it is that you play, whatever pools you're in, don't forget, you'll get information from us as we go along as to how to do it. But you just go to MitchUnfiltered.com and uh, you'll see across the top, play Mitch Unfiltered Madness 2019, our first annual, presented by Evergreen Golf Call, and I'm very, very excited for what's in store for our listeners in this game and in this pool. Before we get to naming episode 30, Jay Ham, let's clean up 29 a little bit. Okay. I asked the question after you chose Earl Thomas to represent 29. That was your call. It was a tough mm-hmm. call. I asked, did Jason Hamilton make the right decision on Twitter? Do you realize it was exactly 50-50, yes or no? Exact, not 51-49. Exactly 50-50, 50/50. yes or no. That's right. I, I think Earl Thomas is that polarizing right now. I mean, it's fresh. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a recent wound. I think people love Earl. I think people uh, wish, wish the – the way that it ended hadn't gone how it did. So I, I can understand it being 50, 50. I mean, you know, as I said on the episode, I, I, I think my personal, personal choice was, was Satchel page, but because of the, the local nature of our show, I, I chose Earl Thomas and, and, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting that I think the, the, the fan vote is, is that split because it's, um, it is a polarizing – Earl is a polarizing figure. Do you want to go back on your choice or selection? Are you standing firm on – because I have to disclose to our listeners something that nobody knows that you and I know. Mm. You were under a unique set of physical constraints when you made that selection. <laughs> I look over, and, and we were talking about doing this as a patron episode. We might as well just do it now and get it out of the way. I look yeah. over at the end of the episode when I'm telling the Sean McDonough story. And I see you bent over, and you're looking at me like, okay, this isn't, there's something going wrong with Jason D. Hamilton. And because we're recording, you could have very easily said, hold on, let's stop for a second and we'll, we'll edit it up. But you didn't. 
you just looked like something was bothering you. And I, I was to find out a few moments later that you were not in great shape physically or or mentally when you handed off yeah. the, uh, the the Earl Earl Thomas deal. Yeah, so, you know, fault me for being the the gamer that I am, I guess. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I, I, I literally didn't want to stop you mid-story with, uh, with, with the Sean McDonough deal. Uh, and I was just trying to, you know, grip my teeth and fight through it. But my stomach was hurting so bad, and I didn't know what was going on. And it was actually kind of frightening me for a second, especially coming on the heels of the conversation uh, that, that happened in episode 29 with the whole stroke conversation. Uh, there was something physically going on with me that I, I wasn't sure about. But I just wanted to get through the, the last bit of your story and then close it up and then figure it out. And I was I was hurting. I I don't know that I've been in that much physical pain in a long time, uh, and you know it was just a stomach pain and a stomach pain, and it wasn't in my chest, it wasn't in my heart, it wasn't in my arms. It was it was really just in my stomach. And you know when we we got through that, and you kind of rushed seeing how I was looking, you rushed through that story. I mean, I almost collapsed in your living room just trying to wow. figure out what the heck was going on, Mitch. I had gas. <laughs> I'm glad. You know, I laugh only because we can laugh now. I was really, did you, I don't know if you sensed how concerned I was. I was very, well, very concerned. I didn't realize how, what it, I didn't realize what it was. I just knew that my stomach was hurting. I, I had, literally, I haven't been through that much pain in a long time. So yeah, I did. When you were, you're like, are you okay? Do you need to go to the hospital? And, and I think people, people who will, are listening to this right now are probably thinking, Oh, we're just cracking jokes, but no. we were both actually very, very concerned. Yes, I was close to to insisting that I take you to Overlake Hospital. You were just to give everybody a visual, and you just pointed it out. You were on your hands and knees on my family room floor. You could not even sit up. I I ran and got you some some medication that we had. I f- gave it to you. I force fed it to you. And I just watched you, and you were you were in some real agony, and I was really, really concerned. I sensed that it was gas just because, you know, it, it seemed like you were talking about stomach. You weren't talking about chest. You weren't talking about arm. But it was very, yeah. very, very scary, and I'm just glad that you were able to, to get home. Just for the people who, who want to know, he did not start to drive home. He, he waited here for a while until he felt yeah. completely comfortable. So I'm just – I'm really – I'm really thankful. You know, you just never know with these things. You never know at our age there, Jay Ham. You exactly. had you had some golf to get to in Vegas. You had <laughs> you had you had some NCAA tournament games to get to next week, some Pac twelve. You had Larry Scott's nice pad that he's got there in Vegas to get to yeah. to have dinner. I mean, you yeah. had a lot of things on your plate and I didn't want you to lose any of those. So here's what some of the tweets said. Uh T J T L A X three writes I was hoping that he would go Earl Dickaroo. Earl Dickaroo. <laughs> Figure that one out. Dickaroo. Uh, Dickaroo. Okay. Um, yep. Jim Colazar says, Earl is too fresh of a wound. Personal choice would have been Carew, but couldn't disagree with Satchel. Um, your mm. buddy Kevin Burris writes, Satchel Page, in my honest opinion. John mm-hmm. Powers writes, Missed on back-to-back Ram running backs. Could have been going for a trifecta with Lawrence McCutcheon in episode number 30. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, and nice. Tim Baggs 
Scroggum writes Smoltz and Carew over Earl Thomas. This was a very polarizing vote, very polarizing opinion. A lot of people um, were not happy, but other people were very happy. So I guess that's what a good poll is all about. That's what a good sports discussion is all about. You went with the local angle, and I thought we weren't going to do like I I did not agree with you. I would not have gone with Earl Thomas, by the way, if it was my mm. if it was my opinion. I probably would have gone. I probably would have done Eric Dickerson. I think that Eric Dickerson, it would have been close between Rod Carew and Eric Dickerson, but I, I think I would have probably a slight lean to the 2,105 yards that he had and the great all-time running back that he was, which brings us to episode 30. Here we are, and I guess you're going to wipe your hands clean of this now that I put you on the spot. You're, you're having no part of this episode 30. Oh, unless you. <laughs> especially after you just threw me under the bus on Twitter multiple times about this was Jason D. Hamilton. This was, yeah, okay, that's fine. I saw you. Don't think I didn't see you. I saw you. Uh, all right, local yokels. We'll get those out of the way first because there's really nobody for 30. Seahawks. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Bobby Joe Edmonds. Oh, sure. The, the kick returner, the special teams specialist, and Bradley McDougal from this past year. The, that's the best I can give you for, for uniform number 30 on the Seahawks. So let's go by those guys. Um, Mariners. What do you remember of Aaron Seeley, number 30? And Eddie, Eddie Edwin Nunez from back in the day wore number 30. So nothing really to, to write home about for Mariners. Mm-hmm. Sonics. There's a bunch. Nothing real special. Reggie Evans. Yep. Garfield Hurd wore 30. Sharunas. Marshall Lonis from three. Um, he wore number 30. And then yep. my favorite number 30, of course, from the Orange from the Harvard of Central New York for the Sonics was Billy Owens came to Seattle and wore number 30. Billy Owens was a tremendous, tremendous college player. Oh, yes, he was. He was a trash garbage can pro. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I got a trivia yeah. question. Do you, know who, yeah. do you know who Billy Owens' high school coach was? I do not. Do you remember the name Jeff Lebo? Oh, sure. Jeff Lebo's father coached both Jeff Lebo and Billy Owens together in high school. How did he not, how did he not get down to Carolina then? Uh, better recruiting in upstate huh? New York. Better recruiting. Yeah, okay. Just, just curious. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Just curious. I'm just saying. Yeah. Better recruiting. Yeah. So, so the locals yeah. are out for episode 30. That brings us to the national names, okay? I don't know that we're ever going to name somebody – uh, or an episode after an NHL player outside of the great one, Wayne Gretzky, maybe Mario Lemieux as well. I'm not a hockey guy. I don't know. I don't know that you're much of a hockey guy, um, mm-hmm. but I will say that the consensus is is that number thirty, Martin Brodeur, is one of the best three goalies that's ever played in the National Hockey League. Okay. All right. So he's got to be considered if you're one of the best three goalies, right? You're in the you're in the sure. conversation. Of All right. Uh, in of the in the NFL. Jay Ham, the best I can do in the NFL is two-time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, three-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro. He would have done a lot more if he didn't get hurt. Number 30 of the Denver Broncos, touchdown TD Terrell Davis. 7,607 yards, 4.6 yards carry, 60 touchdowns. That's the best 30 in NFL history in my estimation. Mm Mm-hmm. That takes us to baseball. 
I got three names for you. One I'm really confused about. I'll get through the other two. Maury Wills was a seven-time All-Star, wore number 30. Tim Raines is a Hall of oh. Famer. He wore number 30, mm-hmm. seven-time All-Star, mm-hmm. three-time World Series champion. But the other guy that wore number 30 in baseball was Nolan No-Hit Ryan. With the Anaheim or the California Angels, he wore 30. But he's more known for wearing number 34. Right. He, with Texas and Houston, most of his no-hitters came in, in number 34. But he did have a great, great eight years wearing number 30 and piling up strikeouts for the Let Angels. Let me tell you, can I cut in? Can sure. I cut in? Yeah. Uh, if you're pushing Nolan Ryan to 34, he's got no shot. I know he does. That's the part of the problem. He's got no shot if he goes to 34. So I'm, I'm all ears. Keep going. So do I just give it to Nolan Ryan 30, even though he really was more known for 34? How do I handle he that? The, so 30, so what you just described, 30, that's the, the collection of, of folks at 30? I've got a few more. I haven't, done okay. NBA, I haven't done NBA, and I haven't done my choice yet. Okay. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two 30s to talk about in the NBA, one old, one new. And I have a particular fondness for the old one because he played right in my heyday. And I loved him. I don't know why. I just loved him. He scored 24 points a game as a rookie. He scored 23 points a game in his career. He made it through two catastrophic knee injuries when, when knee injuries were the end of careers before they learned how to fix them. He scored 28 points a game as a 34-year-old off of two major reconstructive knee surgeries. I'm going to say that again. He scored 28 a game at age 34 after two reconstructive knee surgeries. He was a four-time NBA All-Star, would have been more if it weren't for the knee problems, and a two-time All-NBA first team, and considered by many as the greatest scorer of his generation, of his era. None other than Bernard King. Ooh. And he was something to watch. I loved him at no Tennessee. I was a young, young, young kid when he was at Tennessee with Ernie Grunfeld, the Ernie and Bernie or the Bernie and Ernie show. And once he got into the NBA, I was old enough to understand what I was watching. Just amazing stuff. And then the new guy, there's a certain Golden State warrior that wears number 30, J. Ham. <laughs> uh, last I checked, he's, he's pretty good. Um <laughs> In the first few years of his career, and uh, got a chance to be one of the all-time greats. But yeah, let keep it going. Forty-four percent from three-point line in his career is that amazing? Ridiculous. Forty. There's yeah. so many players that can't shoot forty-four percent from the field, taking all their shots from inside. He 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 shoots forty-four percent in a career from three, and he he only jacks about ten or twelve of them a game from three. Uh, he's a career 24-point-per-game scorer, and his name is Steph Curry. I guess, what is he, a two-time MVP and, a, uh, and obviously a world champion. So he and Bernard King are the two NBA players. All right, don't, don't pause like you're getting a, a, a hand up from me. Why not? Can't you help a man because, out? Yeah, I, I think you know what you need to do. <laughs> the question is whether you're going to be willing to do it. I am going to be willing to do it. So, okay. Um, I, I thought a lot about this today, and I knew that you weren't going to help. Um, I knew you were probably playing golf. And I've decided that 
I'm throwing out the baseball guys. I'm throwing out the local guys. I'm throwing out Martin Brodeur. I'm throwing out Terrell Davis. And that brings me to Steph Curry and Bernard King. And I'm really Mm. stuck because I know that most people that are not my age will think, Mitch, how could you pick Bernard King over Steph Curry? How could you do that? And those people, I would say, did not watch Bernard King. Do you remember Bernard King as a player? Bernard Bernard King before the knee injuries was a bucket. I mean, he could score like nobody's business. Right. And was smooth. I mean, he was like Doc J- I mean, he was ridiculous. You go watch people that are are younger than let's say 35, go watch some YouTube highlights of Bernard King. Yeah. And then and then tweet at us. Yes. Cuz thank you. His NBA game was unreal. Yes. Thank you very much. So when considering those two, and I'm having real trouble defining one versus or picking one versus the other, I've decided to to pick neither. (laughs) What? I have a surprise candidate that I think you're going to completely agree with. Okay. I found somebody even better than Bernard King and Steph Curry and Terrell Davis and all the rest. Oh, my gosh. I'm so nervous right now. If I told you that I found a person who played four years of college basketball, won four national championships out of four, was the MVP of the Final Four all four years, was the player of the year in college basketball, sophomore, junior, and senior years, three-time player of the year in college basketball, came into the pros and was immediately rookie of the year. Then after a year that they made the all-star team, in the third year, was the MVP of the league and also won a championship in the third year and was the finals MVP in the third year of this person's professional career. How is that resume, how can that resume ever be topped, what I just told you? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You've got me, you've got me intrigued to, to who I believe she is, but let's, let's hear it. Her coach, her college coach, who I can't stand – Calls her Stewie, which drives me a little crazy. Stewie this and Stewie that. I'm picking Stewie. I'm picking Stewie. I am naming episode number 30 after the greatest and most accomplished, maybe not that well, Cheryl Miller was pretty good, the most accomplished college basketball player in the history of women's college basketball. She also has great Seattle ties because she plays here. But I don't even think I have to use the Seattle ties. I just think what I just – the qualifications that I just shared with you, four national championships in four years, four MVP Final Fours, three player of the years, an MVP, a rookie of the year, and a championship and a finals MVP. I don't see how anybody can ever beat that. I am calling today's episode, episode 30, episode Stewie, Brianna Stewart. What's your thought on I, that? I got, I got no complaints. I got no Those numbers are ridiculous. You're lining that up with, you know, I know Alcindor didn't play uh, as a freshman right. at UCLA, but you're lining stuff up like that. Uh, with Brianna Stewart. So good, good, yeah, good call. Good uh, call. I'm with it. I want to get to two other things before our three interviews, and then we'll come back in the final segment and finish things up. Two other things for you I want to get your thoughts on before I give you mine, real quickly, for this segment. Um, you've obviously read the, the Portland article about Larry Scott's Vegas accommodations. Mm-hmm. It's the talk of Twitter, it's all over the place. If, if the people that are listening have not heard, Pac 12 athletic directors 
have frequently grumbled about the expenses incurred by Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, like his $4.8 million salary, the $6.9 million annual rent for the headquarters in San Francisco, and now there's this. Scott is staying in a 3,300-square-foot luxury suite in Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. It goes for $7,500 a night. It's 24-hour personalized butler service, fully stocked bar with exclusive selected wine, spirits, and champagne, complimentary bottle of Veuve Clicquot champagne, chocolate-covered strawberries, access to a private elevator, a check-in lounge, and your own sky pool, complimentary iPad and laptop used during stay, a 20-inch LCD television in the bathroom, marble jacuzzi soaking tub. Now, it's been comped, and they kind of buried that in the story. So there's a lot of people that, or at least a few people that are defending Scott and saying, hey, now wait a second. The Pac-12 is not paying for this. I would contend that they're kind of paying. They're all You're always paying for it one way or the other. Maybe not directly handing them $7,500 a night for this place, but in the grand scheme of things, you're always paying for it. So my question to you, Jason, you've, you've clearly read all of this and seen the reaction. Mm-hmm. Is it much yep. ado about nothing, or is there something here to pick on Larry Scott for? Oh, of course. Well, I mean, based on where the leagues, leagues, and I'm saying the leagues, meaning the singular league of the Pac-12, but the leagues of football and basketball, um, and, and where they are in, um, you know, the minds and thoughts of the media and fans across the country, perception is reality in this situation. And so you've got a, a situation where the, the commissioner of the Pac-12, who is by far the highest paid commissioner uh, or leader of a league in the nation, uh, and the revenues don't support that. Um, the fact that he would be in this situation in a suite uh, that is so expensive, um, you know, it, it's it doesn't look good. It's just a bad PR thing. Now, if you if you peel the onion back, like you said, where what was buried in the story is that this was probably something that was negotiated and and put into the contract. Uh, as a hospitality slash perk for the commissioner, um, you know, I, I think these things happen. I, I'm not of all the things that the PAC 12 has going against it. The fact that Larry Scott is staying at the Aria in a, in a $7,000, $8,000 a night suite. That is not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is the television contract, the revenue disparity and all the other things. But when you, when you couple that with another sort of out-of-touch moment, it's just a bad look all yeah. the way around. Yeah. We don't know how long, unless I just missed it in the story, how many years he's been staying in the same suite. For all I know, he's been staying in it every year for the last many years yeah. since they've been in Vegas. And I, I guess you have to wonder whether he would have ever expected that this would get out. Sure. Um, was there any chance that anybody was going to find out about this suite, and if they did, what it was going to look like? But I – I, you know, here I go again. I ask you your opinion, and you very eloquently put it in, into words. I can't say anything more than you just said. I think you put it beautifully, really. My issue is he knows what his reputation is right now. Yeah. He knows the shaky ground and the shaky situation the Pac-12 is in. He knows his football programs are struggling. He knows he's not getting into the Final Four. He knows he doesn't have a direct TV contract for the Pac-12 networks. He knows that the reputation of the basketball 
of the basketball situation in the Pac-12 is terrible, so much so that people are calling it a one-bid conference. He knows that his officials in all sports are always under attack. He knows that people are asking, should Larry Scott remain as Pac-12 commissioner? He's mm-hmm. an Ivy League-educated guy, Jay Ham. He went to mm-hmm. Princeton, I believe. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a Princeton guy. How does he not have the bandwidth? How does he not have the, you know, just the awareness to say, geez, I don't know if this could ever get out, but if it did, it would be my, un- it could potentially be my PR undoing. I-, I shouldn't be in this thing. I should be in a more mm-hmm. modest place in Vegas. How does he not have just kind of a sense or somebody around him to say, hey, Kamish, probably not the right year to be be staying, even if you stayed in it the last 10 years, at this stage of the game, probably not smart to be in that in that path. Yeah, and I th- I don't think he – I think this is so far down the list of problems, not even problems, the list of things on his radar. I, I honestly believe that this uncovering of where he is staying probably took him by surprise. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it is one of those things where and, – and listen, I, I, I have been – admittedly, I have been in situations where I have done certain events or been a part of certain situations where a room or something has been embedded in that thing. So, you know, I I understand how these things work, and I understand that that's probably the situation here. But the fact that it is so far off his radar in that it could come up means that his, his finger on the pulse of what of yeah. what the panic button is yeah. for the league and the yeah. fans yeah. is is so off. Yeah. It's just so off that I, I, I don't even I don't even know where to begin with it. Uh, is it possible that he just has no idea that he's on he's on thin ice? Maybe he just you know I, some people can't just have can't look in the mirror and and come to grips with reality. Maybe he's living in a fantasy world where he thinks everything's good and everybody loves him. Well, Mitch, I I hate to tell you this. Maybe he's right. No, we Maybe, know, we know that he's wrong. No, 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 no. Maybe he's right. And you talk about the fantasy. Maybe he's right. Maybe he does have more support than people think. Yeah. Maybe at the at the at the president level, the chancellor level, he's got more support than people think, and that his job is not in jeopardy. I mean, maybe that is his reality. I'm not telling you from our perspective. I'm telling you from his perspective. You asked the question. Maybe he does feel like, I can do this. I have the right support from the people that matter the most, who are, who are really writing the checks and making my job secure or not secure, and I, they're, they're okay with this. And we don't know that. Perhaps. Well, it'll, it'll it'll be interesting to see what, if anything, more comes about from this article and and this and this experience in Las Vegas and the latest in just a bad line of PR snafus for Commissioner Larry Scott of the Pac-12. Have you read up and followed at all? I'm I'm curious to the answer to this question on the national story that's kind of captivated and captured the attention of. Americans around the country, especially Americans that have kids that go to college, this the academic college admissions scandal. Have you been following yeah. it? That's caught amongst other high-profile people. Uh, a lady that I've had a crush on since I was a, 
a kid, for goodness sakes. Lori Laughlin, an actress, and other actresses and other high-profile people. Have you have you followed it at all, and do you have a thought or an opinion on it? Because I do. I have followed it. I was I was I was really hoping that you were going to tell me that you had one Ashley Low Ryan on your on on the dial up because her coach at USC, the water polo coach, was caught up in this scandal, oh, and she boy. did mention this on Twitter. Uh, so I was hoping that you were going to tell me that you were going to have her her chime in on this. But yeah, I mean, I, I followed it. It, it. It's not surprising to me. I mean, it's it's funny. It's like people who are in powerful positions and have the ability to try to usurp the system do. I mean, that's that's what, that's what people do. It just it's it's really interesting the the ways in which people tried to do it, the sports in which they did, and the money that was offered. I mean, it's it's a really interesting, fascinating kind of thing. I find myself both mad and humored at the same time. Is that possible? Of course, especially when you, you peel back how people, you know, like what did they get recruited for and what they do. I mean, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I'm certain that most people are aware of the story. Uh, high profile, very wealthy people, actors, actresses, um, presidents, CEOs, paying off people to get their kids into Ivy League schools and prominent schools paying off coaches to pretend that their their kids are athletes um right kind of like your yours did um <laughs> you know uh going to the extent of laundering money through fake charity there's a guy by the name of william singer who's in the middle of all this he was the guy that kind of set up this bogus charity and these high-profile people, wealthy people, were donating money so that it was being laundered. They were taking tax deductions, and then he was turning around. Instead of a charity, he was taking money for himself and to uh, pay off people to take SATs and so forth to try to get their, their high-profile kids into these schools. And the reason I say, if you'll humor me for a second, I, I find myself mad and I find myself humored. Um, the mad part is, and this is right down my alley, Jay Ham. Right now, we're talking. You're talking to a guy who's got a junior in high school. You're about to go through it, and and mm-hmm. I and I'm. In, it's in, what's intriguing is you and I are come from so different backgrounds from the standpoint that you never really had to, for the most part, go through this process because you were a great athlete. I joke around about it, but you were a great high school basketball player who had opportunities. We're going to hear the guy who recruited you to the University of Washington and then recruited you back there after you went to San Diego State. So you needed to do well academically to fit into certain schools, right? But right. you didn't have to go through the, the process of, hey, uh, am I going to get into this school? I mean, you really didn't right. have to do that. I did to a smaller extent, but my son is going through it right now. and I don't want to say too much because I'll get myself in trouble with the family. I know that I'm not... I don't really want to talk too much about it, but I'll just tell you that my son, Max, who people remember was born, can't, people can't believe he's already getting ready to go to college. He's a junior in high school, and he is a, a really unique kid from the standpoint that when it's all said and done and he puts his applications together, he's going to have really good numbers. He's going to have a great grade point average, great He's going to have great AP-level classes, rigor, whatever they call it. He took the SATs for the first time last weekend. He clearly, based on practices and his feeling, he did. I'm sure he did really, really, really well. I mean, really, really competitive numbers with anybody that's going to any of these premier schools. Sure. But sure. when he discusses with his counselor, his college counselor, 
where he will be able to go, she will look him in the eye and say, Max, you're not going. Cut it out with the Stanfords and the Harvards and the Ivy Leagues. You're not getting into those right. places. Right. right, and, right. and the reason is she'll tell him, and we don't know whether she's right or wrong. We'll see. Are your mother and father's name on any buildings in these schools? Mm-hmm. Do they give a lot of money? Are they legacy? Did they go to these schools? Okay. Mm-hmm. If, did you set up a, a business in your garage? Did you start a nonprofit? Did you play violin in Carnegie Hall? You need to have something incredibly special about you in addition to the numbers to be able to get into these schools. Mm-hmm. And so... What leaves me upset is I hear this story, and you can obviously connect the dots, right? I hear this story about kids of famous people, and they're giving money, and they're, they're bribing others, and they're laundering money, and paying upwards of millions of dollars right. to get their kids into right. schools. And so you can understand where parents like myself, and there are parents all over the world right now that are reading the story, and they're pissed off because they've got kids that go about it the right way, and... Some kids are athletes, real athletes, not fake athletes. Some kids are great students, and and they're trying to earn their way in a very competitive world. This is a crazy, crazy racket, this whole trying to get into school. It is so hard to get into these schools. It is so hard for the normal Joe, for the normal Max, to get into these schools. And to hear that others are getting in because of these ways makes me very angry. Yeah, rightfully so. But at the same time, why am I laughing in humor? And the answer is, and maybe you'll disagree, I just don't, I see the differences. Now, I'm not naive, but how far removed is this illegal activity from something that's been happening legally for 100 years? And that is wealthy parents making big donations to schools and schools realizing, hey, this is an opportunity to create revenue for many, many years to come if I take this person's kid. This has sure. been happening for a hundred years. It's not different. The the only the only difference, if if you'll indulge me, is instead of the the school being the beneficiary, right. the coach or the administrator of course. Of course. realizes that they they are the go between. And are the ones that saying like, I could capitalize off this and make the same thing happen, but get paid. And so those people are getting in trouble, like the people who are paying. But okay, so let me ask it to you in a different way, from not their angle, from the other angle, from the the parents' angle. Yeah, mm-hmm. is it is it real seedy? Is it real slimy? Is it wrong? Of course it is. But how again? How different is it that the CEO is paying? Okay, so he's paying a coach, and that's bad. That's really, really bad. Yeah. Okay, yep. but he's still paying yep. to get his kid into school, right? And if he if yep. he decided to, instead of paying the, the the coach, he called the the guy who's in charge of the endowment at the university and says, "Hey, yep. my name is so and so. I'm CEO of so and so, and I'd like to make a donation on my on my family's behalf and want you to know that I'm." really interested in starting a relationship with you guys for many, many years to come. Now, as a result, I'd like to share with you the application of my kid. What's really, hey, yeah. what's really the difference between those two scenarios? There's not, there's not a ton of difference. I mean, you're right. It's an institution, whether it's the institution versus the individual, seeing that there's an opportunity to uh, get, a, get a child or a student into a university by making a contribution and making that contribution in a very specific way and having somebody say yes. So really the fundamentals of it are very, very similar. 
You're right. 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 I'll just share with you as we finish. I'll share with you this interesting anecdote. The the college advisor that I told you about a few moments ago. Yeah. Yeah. She looked at my kid and my kid brought up Stanford. And mm-hmm. she said, "Listen, Max. There are 20 kids for every 20 kids that apply to Stanford. All 20 of them have 4.0s. All 20 of them have 1,600 on their SATs. Mm -hmm. And they take one out of the 20. They turn away 19 out of the 20. So how are you that one out of the 20? And the answer is, is your mom and dad's name on a building? Did your mom and dad go to Stanford? Did you play violin at Carnegie Hall? Are you a great, great athlete that can play Division I college sports? If the answer to all of those is no, you're going to be one of the 19. And so, sure. so these people are paying in a terribly sordid way to be the one, even though they don't even have the qualifications to be in the 20. All right, that's yeah, enough of that. Let's get, let's get three. I think you're going to find the three college basketball interviews that we chose for this episode, number 30, episode Stewie. I think you're going to love all three of these college basketball coaches for different reasons. Ah, uh, and you're going to really, really enjoy the one talking about that Hazen high school guard that he recruited <laughs> back in the day. You're going to love that conversation as we continue on episode number 30. You know, Daniel's Broiler has a brand new location at the new downtown Hyatt Regency, which is open while world-class hospitality makes each Daniel's special. Daniel's new downtown location is truly unique, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. That's right. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, seven days a week. There's more that makes this new Hyatt Regency Daniel's unique. Located within Daniel's Broiler, the Rick House Whiskey Bar, a bar within a bar featuring over 150 selections of high-end whiskeys and other fine spirits from around the globe. Daniel's new downtown Hyatt Regency location offers a happy hour from 3 to 6.30, seven days a week, plus live piano music. Located at 8th and Howell at the beautiful new downtown Hyatt Regency, this Daniel's has the largest dining room seating capacity, so those coveted Friday and Saturday reservations are more likely to come true at this location. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, South Lake Union, Leshine Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Hyatt Regency serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. You know, I've been doing this for a lot of years, doing this interview series with NCAA tournament coaches of some of the lesser-named programs, and every once in a while, we stumble upon a guy who has unique Northwest ties and Seattle ties, and here he is, the head coach of the Liberty Flames, going to the NCAA basketball tournament. Richie McKay is our guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Coach, first of all, congratulations. And second of all, you got to tell our listeners all those ties to Seattle and SPU and the University of Washington, Oregon State. Give us the give us the lowdown, would you? <laughs> sure, Mitch. First of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, obviously, excited for our program and uh, and having or being afforded a chance to dance. So uh, we're looking forward to what's what's uh, what's coming upon us. But uh, also, you know, you asked about the Northwest. Uh, I attended college at Seattle Pacific University and played for a great man named Claude Terry, 
who was actually very influential in me becoming a coach. His, the way he modeled for me what a, a godly man looked like was uh, foundational to uh, me being in the business and having an interest in uh, being a, a coach that was transformational instead of transactional. And uh, to this day, uh, that man has had an impact in uh, in my life. And in Seattle, I, I met some great people. Uh, I love the Northwest. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, to coach at the University of Washington for uh, for Andy Russo as a graduate assistant way back in the day, and then for Bob Bender as a full time assistant. And uh, and I coached at Portland State in uh, Portland for Jim Sterk, who was my boss at the time. He was the RADs now at Missouri and. Uh, and then uh, worked for Mitch Barnhart at uh, Oregon State and uh, met my wife in church there. We went to Antioch Bible Church and uh, saw my wife, Julie, uh, sing. And uh, <laughs> she was actually up there, Mitch, with her with her brother. And it said on the church bulletin that it was Julie and Craig Summers. And I thought, what is she doing with him? I could take him. <laughs> but uh, no, I found out it was uh, her brother and started recruiting her and uh, God allowed uh, a miracle to happen. So we're uh, we're really, really blessed. My, actually, my brother-in-law, a couple of them still live in Seattle. And uh, every time I get back to the Northwest, uh, I, ch- I, I get uh, a Mariners um, get a Mariners game in and yeah. uh, and usually eat at Ivers. Ah, isn't that great? Coach Richie McKay, who has guided the Liberty Flames to a 28-6 and record, Atlantic Sun champions. We're going to talk about your your run to the NCAA tournament in this, the fourth or fifth go-around. I don't know how to look at this, whether it's the fifth or the sixth. we got to get into that Liberty, uh, that, that Liberty experience with you. But before we do that... You were a an assistant coach for Bob Bender, as you point out, at Washington, when there was a certain point guard who said no to Washington the first time around out of haze and high. He went to San Diego State and then decided to transfer. Now, now there's a lot of mixed reports on why he transferred. <laughs> I think it was because of a girl. Uh, you might tell me it was because of the program. And by the way, that aforementioned guard reminds Matisse Thibel every other day that he owns the single-game steal record in Washington basketball <laughs> history. Tell me about what you remember about that that point guard. Yeah, that, that point guard is Jason Hamilton, and the only reason he currently holds that steals record is because his girlfriend was doing the stats that game. <laughs> so, uh, now, it, it, Jason Hamilton, I, I'm telling you, Mitch, he uh, – People won't know this, and it's it's long ago, but he was he was instrumental. I'd even go as far as to say he was the catalyst in the resurgence of Washington basketball. We were we were at the bottom a little bit and trying to build our program. And uh, you know, Jason as a player, he was quick. He was great IQ, could knock down open shots, was confident, good defender. He was really complete, and uh, all those things helped raise the level of our, our competitiveness. But what made a difference in our program was his gift to lead. He, he was he was not a good leader. He was a great leader. And because of him, uh, I think not only did the guys that were currently in the program, uh, they, 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 uh, they, they started to work harder. They, they got more uh, committed to being in the gym. And uh, I think Jason fostered that. But uh, something that's really understated was his ability to recruit uh, and attract other people that were were just not just good players, but were were good human beings. And I, I think 
that helped Coach Bender raise the program and ultimately become uh, really competitive in the league. So Jay Ham, uh, he, he's I love him. He was one of my favorites of all time that uh, we had a chance to coach or recruit. Well, he's one of our favorites of all time here on this particular podcast. Uh, coach Richie McKay is nice enough to be with us. How how much do you appreciate this time around? Now, you're not an old guy, but you've been around the block. You've You've been to Liberty now twice. I want to ask you about that. You've been to all those different stops along the way. You went to the NCAA tournament, I believe, with New Mexico. What year? 2005, something like that to the NCAA tournament. So now you get an opportunity to take this Liberty program to Selection Sunday and get a chance to watch the CBS show and and play under the lights. So what does it mean to you at this stage of your coaching career as opposed to maybe what the the New Mexico experience meant to you when you were much younger? Yeah, Mitch, you you and I both know it's really hard to make it to the NCAA tournament. Uh, Scott Didrickson, a former Mercer Island great and played for UW, he's actually still in the Northwest as well with his family. He used to always remind me of how hard it was to get there, and he's 100% right. So when we went in, with New Mexico in 05, we had Danny Granger, and we really rode his coattails to an NCAA tournament run, and he was fabulous. He ended up being drafted by the Pacers, had a great NBA career. Uh, well, then from there uh, – I, you know, I went to Liberty and uh, spent two years there. We were in a low major league uh, named the Big South. And uh, one of my really good friends, uh, Tony Bennett, whose dad is and was or was and is a mentor of mine, Dick Bennett, uh, asked me to come and be the associate coach at UVA. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a hard decision uh, because not many coaches or not many people leave uh, head coaching positions voluntarily, and especially after a 23-win season. But I just felt like it was right. And uh, so we moved about an hour down the road to go and uh, serve Coach Bennett in, uh, in the ACC. And we went to the tournament a bunch there. And I, I got to see him build from the ground up a really special program. Obviously, you know how good Virginia is now. Well, I, I got to be on the in the infant stages of that. And really, we just took that blueprint from, uh, from Charlottesville and brought it to Lynchburg because I was much more the offensive-minded coach before being at UVA. And I think what Coach Bennett did for me was to allow me to witness firsthand uh, and and really absorb how committed you have to be to the defensive end in order to have some some sustaining success. So uh, when the job opened at Liberty, and I never left Liberty for what it wasn't, Mitch. Liberty's a great place, fabulous fit for me and my family. Um, I left to go and, and do what I thought I was supposed to and how I felt like I was being led. So when the Liberty came the Liberty opportunity came open again. I never thought I'd have a chance to go back, but uh, we knew it was right, and uh, and I ran to it. I, I thought, hey, this is really a program that that could uh, you could do something at the mid-major level. And uh, although we haven't arrived by any stretch of the imagination, obviously making it to the NCAA tournament, and uh, I think this is our third season. We've won 20 plus game. I, I think we're I think we're growing in in stature a little bit, and uh, and and most importantly, I'm really excited about the culture that. Uh, guys created in our program because uh, we we got a healthy family. Mention that you know how much that uh, experience enhances uh, everyone's daily lives. Mm. Tell me about this team, this version of Liberty that's going to the NCAA tournament. What kind of seed do you expect? Some are expecting somewhere in the 13, 14, 12. You had experiences with Vanderbilt, Georgetown, and Alabama in the non-conference. Um, so what are you looking for on Selection Sunday? And better yet, 
what kind of a team, what kind of an opponent would you like to see on that other line? Would you like to see a team that gets up and down the floor? Would you like to see a team that plays slow and steady? What gives you the best chance of getting out of round one, Coach McKay? Mitch, I'd like to see a team that plays defense like Jay Ham does now. <laughs> no, we... Uh, I think I think for us, and and we thought we were in the conference finals last year in the Big South. We lost to Radford on a buzzer beater, and uh, and we kind of thought we we had a team that would have a chance to be competitive this year. So we really challenged ourselves in the non-conference. You referenced some of the opponents that we played. We also played at Kent State, who doesn't lose much there, and we were fortunate enough to win. And and we played at UCLA, and we snuck out of there and out of Poly with a W. So I think it's prepared our guys. For, for a really competitive conference season, which Lipscomb was a great team and should be in the NCAA tournament as an at-large, in my opinion. Um, I, I think it enabled us to go to into Lipscomb for the conference championship and, and play without a fear or uh, without a, um, uh, I, I think, a, oh, how do I want to say it, where people sometimes get in a place where the, the – the event or the magnitude of the game is too much for them. They right. get overwhelmed. And right. we didn't, you never saw that from our guys. So I don't think the stage will be too large for us in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but obviously it it really depends on your matchup. And uh, we knew that when we were at Virginia and at New Mexico, you know, and, and that's one of the uncontrollables, Mitch. We, right. You can't control who you get matched right. up with or what region you go to, uh, but you can be excited uh, and pursuant. Uh, once you once you get there and in preparation for uh, for that game. Well, I really feel great for you and your program. I should point out about the stage, the point that you made about the stage. Did did I not read where you went to Lipscomb earlier in the year and won? In fact, you guys each won on your other on the other team's home floor. So you were you were prepared and you had uh, the experience to draw upon to beat them on their home floor again, right? Yeah, we did. And actually, uh, as as much as it hurt at the time, when we lost, it was like January 28th or 29th at home. We had uh, so much attention around the game. Both of us were top 40 net rankings, and uh, we had won, I don't know, eight or nine, maybe seven or eight in a row, and they had done something similarly. And they blew us out. It, was, it wasn't even a game. It was like it was a 20-point win, and it was very convincing. Well, that changed the disposition of our group. We we went from maybe uh, a little too engaged in social media and what other people were saying about us mm-hmm. to getting back to trying to earn victory and, and not being so outcome-based but being process-oriented. And I think that really helped our cause and uh, enabled us to, to finish the way we did in the in the rest of the conference season well i've been aware of the richie mckay story for a long time 25 years i don't know that our paths have ever quite directly crossed but i'm so glad that they have crossed today and i'm really really excited for you your journey and the opportunity for you and your guys to to watch selection sunday and play on the biggest of stages in the NCAA tournament. It's not to be taken for granted, and I know that you don't. So I'll be cheering for you every step of the way next week in the NCAA tournament. Mitch, thank you. And thank you for all you've done for sports uh, in Seattle. I, I, 
I know very much of the uh, the stature you command there, so I'm appreciative of that. I used to work for the Sonics as an intern my senior <laughs> year of college, so wow. I'm hoping one day we bring wow. the Sonics back. Is that is that coming down the road? Well, we're hopeful. Odell we got Beckham our fingers crossed. We're doing everything that we can do, Coach. We're doing right. everything that we can do. Thank you so much, and go okay, get them. Go get them next week in the NCAA basketball tournament. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Richie McKay former SPU star player and a former assistant at the University of Washington a couple of different times and a man who recruited our guy, Jason D. Hamilton. Evergreen Golf Call is the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. There is a real basketball feel over there at the Bellevue headquarters. Lots of employees that used to play, some on the college level. They still play recreationally. Tyler Hay, the CEO, may be on the 40 under 40 by the Puget Sound Business Journal, but notice he's not on the best ballers of the Northwest CEOs, and there's a, an obvious reason for that, but we won't go there because he's such a great new partner of Mitch Unfiltered and the presenting sponsor of the very best bracket contest opening up its doors on Selection Sunday, Unfiltered Madness, we're calling it. The challenge beat three members of the Evergreen Golf Call team and be eligible for weekend getaways to the West Coast cities that are home to Evergreen, Napa Valley, San Francisco, Portland. You got the transportation, the nice hotel room, accommodations. Keep an eye on MitchUnfiltered.com and my Twitter for details on how to enter. They manage over $2 billion in assets at Evergreen Golf Call. If you're curious about what exactly Evergreen does for its clients, go to their website, evergreengolfcall, G-A-V-E-K-A-L.com, and subscribe to their free newsletter. They've got 10,000 readers. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. And we continue our series of NCAA coaches to make the NCAA tournament. This next guest, oh, what a great story he is going back to last year. In fact, he was a he was a guest on our radio show back in, what, 2016, the last time you went to the NCAA tournament coach. Greg Arenda, Fairleigh Dickinson University. The Knights are going back to the tournament as Northeast Conference champions. Congratulations, coach. Mitch, thanks so much, man. It's good. It wasn't that long ago. 2016 is only... I think three championships ago, but I, I, I'm, it's oh, when I, if I hear your voice and it's March, it's always a good thing. It's a good thing. I know you're not just calling to say how you're doing, coach. Uh, six and eleven, I think, to start the season, coach, and then fourteen and two to end it. What happened there in the middle? A number of things happened, but but number one, we got into our league and we started with four out of five on the road, which I think we were the only team in America that started four out of five games on the road. And we, we hit a few speed bumps early and we were one in four. And quite honestly, we just kept on plugging. We believed in ourselves and we kind of, you know, we had a transfer, uh, Xavier Malone key, who um, it, it, it took a little time to gel, but then once we kind of figured out our parts, um, we got pretty good and we've won, I think it's 14 out of 16 basketball games in conference. And I think, there's not many teams that start out one and four, then win 14 out of 16. But uh, we got a really good group of kids, and now you know they're believing. They know where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be, and they're very congenial. And it's we've got talent, and we can shoot it. We're leading 
we led the conference in field goal percent and three-point field goal percent shooting. So we were shooting it well. We steal it. We should rebound better. We don't, but uh, we do a lot of things good, and it came to fruition, and we beat a really good St. Francis team in a sold-out, banged-out, one of those old classic yeah. uh, gyms that, 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 you, that you read about. It's like a Hoosiers place, and we went in, in there, and, and we took the trophy, and we were very fortunate. Uh, to do that. I want to underscore a couple of things that you just said. Number one, you said you're 14-2 and two to end it. Uh, I also want to point out that the only two losses that you had in those 16 games, you avenged those losses, uh, in- yes. including the championship game in your conference to get to the tournament, which shows a lot of character of your kids. And you say you shoot it well. How about 64% from the field in the game, in the game that mattered most? to get you into yes. the NCAA tournament. That's fantastic, Coach. Uh, Mitch, you, you know, you're, you're right. We, 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 we shoot every day in practice, and we started this drill. We called it two, uh, two lines, two minutes, and we've got to make 33s out of 50 in those two minutes, and we really got addicted to the drill. Um, and I don't know if that was the cause of or the, the pickup of our percentage, but uh, we've got good players, but we, we work really hard in practice. Um, and the kids are devoted and we have kids that believe and we have really good people that good students. I know you hear this all the time, but, uh, I, we've had this year, Mike Fratello, the czar come to practice, yeah. Michael Corrin, Kerry Kittles being in the metropolitan area, we have high level people and they come in and they just, they have their mouths open. They just love our team. And I think last night, that's what happened. Really people, people from all over called we were walking out of the gym and people from st francis were like coach we just really enjoyed you watching your team you have a good good basketball team and um it's contagious and, and my guys are uh they sell the product and we have a good product it's fantastic first uh ncaa appearance in 16 now i'm doing the i'm not a math major but 16 17 18 19 anybody left on this squad that may yes. have been a freshman in 16 coach are two co-captains Darnell Edge who last year was the leading free throw shooter in America and now is I believe fourth or fifth in three-point field goal percentage in America we call him he's our Ray Allen Um, (laughs) he's he's special and then Mike Holloway our center who started for all four years Ah. uh, is just a really really good basketball player he had 12 points, five assists at the center position. People double down on him, and he kicks it out. So, no, we have bookend guys. We have two guys, two players that won it in 16, and as senior captains have won it in 19, and uh, just terrific, terrific young men and great leaders, obviously. The voice of Greg Horenda in his sixth season at Fairleigh Dickinson University, the champs of the Northeast Conference, the pride of Hackensack, New Jersey. Coach, I, I want to touch on two things before you go because I love these stories. Uh, the reason I've done this series now for about 24 years with coaches yep. like yourself is because every story is a little unique, every story is a little different, every program is a little different. I want you to go back and tell our listeners what happened to you medically a year ago and the scare that you had and how to leave the team. And here you are a year and a month later playing in the NCAA tournament. Tell our listeners what happened, please. Well, it's, it's, it's really it's, – it's, it's kind of surreal. But 11 months ago, I was at the Final Four, and now my son is 16 years old. I've taken him to the Final Four for the last 
seven or eight. So it's kind of like a rite of passage. And we walk every city, Atlanta, Houston, Indianapolis. We just walk for miles. And we went out and started walking. I'll never forget it. I saw Mark Few on the street corner and Jim Nance. And my my son obviously knows these guys. And it's like pretty cool just to see him. And, and as soon as we walked past those two guys, my left leg just really, really felt big, heavy, and I couldn't walk. So, Mitch, I had to sit down. And then it's not like me. I'm a very active guy. And then we walked another like 75 yards. And I had to sit. the next thing you know, I was in the emergency room. And then I was in ICU for eight days in the hospital for 15 days wow. with two um, enlarged. You know, blood clots, one of my thigh and one of my abdomen, and I uh, had 104.5 fever. I couldn't walk, and I went from a wheelchair to a, a walker and a walker to a, a cane, and I came back to see my team, and I could barely walk down the stairs to get on the floor, and they embraced me. And um, But I just remember being in the hospital, being really scared, because if these clots break and go to your lungs, or go to your heart, or go to your brain, you know, the circus is over, as my friends in my neighborhood said. And uh, it was scary, but I always just thought of my team and, and TV timeouts. I just said, I got I to gotta get better incrementally. I've got to do it four minutes at a time. And and I really, really, it sounds like cliche-ish, but that's exactly what I did. And 15 days later, I got out of the, uh, got out of the hospital. Greg Siler, the president of San Antonio Spur, season ticket holder was the president came to my room every day the care that i got from the nurses and the doctors therapists it was just and then i flew i i god willing i flew home and got better and i didn't get better until the fall and then the season started and and to think that we i would get back to this point with my team and my team really brought me back is surreal and then i'm talking to you now because back then man i was just hoping that i got out of texas alive and uh, I got out alive and well. Wow. What an unbelievable story. So terrific to see in the tournament. Now, I'm not going to let you go because I don't think four years ago I asked you this question. If I did, okay. uh, we'll, we'll pretend like we didn't ask it. Uh, yeah. I, I want to know, forget forget Fairleigh Dickinson, forget NCAA tournament, yeah. forget Selection yeah. Sunday. I want to know about the 22-assist game at Merrimack <laughs> College. Yes. From Greg Horrenda. You must have had some great teammates no. finishing on the on the fast break. What happened that night, Greg? I've got it up on my wall. My lifelong college friend, Joe Dixon, who was a draft choice of the Boston Celtics back when they had like 15 rounds, uh, was a tremendous player. And we had a coordination and a, and a, and a, a synergy that was – it was Stockton and Malone at the Division <laughs> two level. That's what it was. It was Stockton and Malone. Pick and rolls were a joke. I mean, people, if there was a three-point line, you know, it was, it was scary. But Joe scored a lot of points, and, I, and we beat Bentley College. And I don't know if you remember, <laughs> uh, Casey Jones was the head coach of the Boston Celtics. Of course. His son, Kipper Jones, was on the team. And I think my last assist was I came down. Kipper flew out at me, and he was a big, long, athletic dude, and I threw a bounce pass in between his legs to a cutting Joe Dixon. He made the layup, and we beat Bentley College, which is a huge <laughs> rivalry in New England. And here's the little-known fact, okay. Mitch, yeah. is that 
the statistician that day was in my wedding party when I was married <laughs> many years ago. <laughs> so if I touched it, uh, if I touched it and it went in, I got credit. But uh, no, that was my thing. I, I wasn't a great player, but I just knew at that time, I think that I was at some point going to be a coach because I knew where everyone on the floor was supposed to be and <laughs> I could find people. And I wasn't quick enough like Jaleel Jenkins to go by guys, but I knew how to get the ball to the right guys. And um, that's the story about the 22 well, assists, bro. Well, Casey Jones ended up a, a coach out here for the Seattle Sonics for a while. So we know, yes. we know Casey for, for, for good reason. Hey, before you, before, good man, good man. before you run, do you expect to be in the first four again, like you were in 16? Or are you going to avoid that game? Back here, they're saying it's 60, 70, 80% sure that we'll go back to Dayton. And I, I was quoted, in a newspaper article a, a, a few days ago saying if, if the first tournament they send us to Mars, that I am all in. <laughs> so if it's Dayton, I will be, if it's Dayton, obviously we have a good shot to win a game there. And if it's not Dayton, that's great. But we're just thrilled to go back and, uh, and, and, and do better. We, we ran into a bus saw Florida Gulf Coast the last time, but I think now we'll be more prepared. Um, this is a special team and uh, we'll be excited for wherever we go and whoever we play greg dayton is a lot better than the hospital room in san antonio just remember that amen brother amen (laughs) great job congratulations it's great to hear your voice it's four years later but i'm really happy i love your story i love your program story i love all of these stories it's what makes the Uh. ncaa tournament forget the dukes and the north carolinas and the kansases Let's uh, focus on these types of stories, and we'll all be entertained. Uh, Thanks so much. You are the man, Mitch. Thank you so much. Goodbye, and have a great day. Enjoy the tournament. What a colorful and unique personality. Greg Horenda, the head coach of Fairleigh Dickinson University. Easy to root for a guy like that. I say pizza, craft beer, and college hoops, and you say Zeke's Pizza, either at your home through delivery or one of the fabulous Northwest locations. There's one now in Tacoma. We'll all be next Thursday or Friday watching the Washington Huskies in the NCAA tournament. Zeke's is the Northwest homegrown pizza company founded in Queen Anne in 1993. And if you don't want to join me, then have them deliver. Download and use their mobile app. Order online, zekespizza.com or call 206-285-8646. Any combination of food and craft beer right to your door just as long as it's a minimum of 15 bucks you can mix and match order six different beers whatever you like and all the drivers have shoulder coolers so believe me the beers show up nice and cold remember the one who orders has to be 21 years of age and who receives it at the door everyone gets carded 206-285-8646 zekespizza.com or download and use the mobile app zeke's pizza homegrown in the northwest unfiltered Well, it's our favorite time of year, the countdown to Selection Sunday, and it's a great privilege to be able to spotlight some of these programs that we don't know everything about to make it to the NCAA tournament. In fact, our our next guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is doing it for a second consecutive year. He's got his Murray State Racers awaiting their seed on Selection Sunday as the winners of the Ohio Valley Conference. Here's Coach Matt McMahon. 
Coach, congratulations. Another trip to the NCAA tournament. How does it feel? Hey, Mitch. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it was a, a special weekend. Uh, we set the uh, attendance records there for the Ohio Valley Conference. We had over 10,000 fans uh, there Saturday night for our showdown with Belmont and uh, John Morant and, and our team. We were fortunate to get it done and thrilled to be going back to the big dance. You beat Belmont after they took care of you in the in the regular portion of the year. The whole world now is asking for, for the committee to put Belmont in as an at-large team. Tell everybody who didn't see the game, I saw a lot of the game, about your second-half performance. You hung 51 up on them in the second half, Matt. Well, the first half, I think both teams just so familiar with each other. It was uh, very well defended on both ends in the first half, and, and neither team shot well. Uh, but you're talking about two of the top ten scoring offenses in the country. So, fortunately, there in the second half, the pace of play got going the way both teams wanted it. And, uh, you know, John Morant was able to take over the game. Uh, but we also – we have a big fella, Darnell Cowart, who came in here at 315 pounds, and he's worked like crazy. He's lost 45 pounds, and he missed the whole first half due to foul trouble. And we were able to play through him in the post – in the second half, and he was really terrific. So, Coach McMahon, you've got your team in the tournament for the second consecutive year. We're going to talk about Morant because everybody is talking about Morant. But before we <laughs> before we do that, uh, well, you had some earlier season uh, great performances and losses. You came back against Auburn when they were seventh ranked and almost came all the way back in the second half in the late stages to knock them off at their place. You lost by six to Alabama. You have the experience of playing West Virginia in the NCAA tournament a year ago. How are those experiences going to help as you get ready to go back and you take a team that's got, what, three, four, five players still around from last year's team to the NCAA tournament? Well, Mitch, I hope the experience is really going to play well for us. Uh, this group, uh, over these two years, we're 53-10. and 10. Uh, We've won 41 of those games by double figures. Uh, so th these guys are used to winning. I thought we got a brutal draw last year getting West Virginia as a five seed when they were number two in the country earlier in the season. But our, but our guys have been to this moment, and, and I know they're excited about getting to go back again. Uh, you have an interesting story. You were a, a terrific player for Appalachian State uh, and Buzz and Buzz Peterson. You were also an assistant for Buzz. I want you to tell the story of being an assistant at Murray State for Steam Pro, who, who by the way, was a, a guest on this particular series a few years ago, uh, and your decision to leave as an assistant to go be an assistant <laughs> elsewhere and how long that job lasted at Louisiana Tech, Coach. Sure. It's crazy the way the, the business works sometimes. Uh, I had a great four years working for Coach Prome. He's an unbelievable coach and even better person. Uh, it's really had a great impact on, on my career. Uh, but after my fourth year, uh, my college roommate, Eric Conkle, we were graduate assistants together at the University of Tennessee for Buzz Peterson. And we always talked about if one of us got a job, we'd love to, to join up. And he got hired at Louisiana Tech. I'd been there about two weeks. Uh, my family never moved. We never packed a box. And uh, we were in camp one, one Monday morning, and I got the call that Coach Prome had been hired at Iowa State. And I uh, went and got a one-way rental car, got to come back here to Murray and interview, and <laughs> was very fortunate to, uh, to be selected to take over the program. So uh, it's, it's amazing how things work out in this profession. Did I read correctly that in your – in your few weeks at Louisiana Tech that you recruited 
a player to Louisiana Tech and uh, somebody that you were recruiting to Murray State before you left there. Is that right? We did. We did. It. And just more background on it. <laughs> we, we signed him there at Louisiana Tech. Uh, but then the, the better news for me was uh, before I left here as an assistant, it came down to Murray State and Louisiana Tech. Fortunately, he chose Murray State. Then I left and went to Louisiana Tech. <laughs> Ended up getting to come back two weeks later, and uh, we had Stark on the, already on the roster and ended up being the player of the year in our league last year. So uh, we were fortunate to get him for sure. All right. Uh, Matt McMahon is our, is our guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. He's got Murray State into the NCAA tournament for the second consecutive year. In fact, he was the first, Murray State, the first team to punch its ticket to the NCAA tournament. All right, Ja Morant, I've waited as long as I can wait. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a story that I think has to be told to the nation because we're, we're, we live in a time and an age where it's all about McDonald's All-Americans and ratings and stars. And I, I watch this guy put up 34 or 36 against Belmont in the final. He has been one of the great players in America. I think he could be national player of the year since Zion Williamson got hurt at Duke. And he came out of relative obscurity. You ha he's a South Carolina guy. That's all I really know. Tell, tell our listeners just how off the radar he was, how he was found, and, and we're talking about a kid who could be the number one or number two pick in the NBA draft this coming year. Yeah, he's really special. Uh, we were following around Tevin Brown, who's our starting two guard. He was our top priority wing in that class, and we were at a tournament in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, just really happened to wander into the auxiliary gym there and was watching some three-on-three -three and followed him the rest of the day. And he called me that night and said, you know, I really believe this kid's going to be a pro. And so we, we, uh, I got up there the next day, got to watch him. We followed him the rest of July. And uh, we were fortunate to get him here at Murray State. He had an unbelievable freshman year. He averaged 13 points a game, seven rebounds, over six assists. And, uh, you know, those numbers are only been – those combination of those three stats have happened nine times in the last 25 years of college basketball. So I uh, had a great freshman year. Uh, really worked hard this offseason and you know this year he's trying to become the first in the history of college basketball to average over 20 points and 10 assists a game he plays with just this joy and freedom and creativity that people love to watch and we'll be watching him for a lot of years that's for sure how do you figure coach if he was so darn impressive to the assistant that saw him in the three-on-three -three game in the gym how, with all the millions of dollars that's spent in recruiting and analysis and data, how was he so far off the map? Was it his AAU team that he was playing with? Was it his high school team? Was he a late bloomer? He was obviously good enough to catch sure. your eye, and he calls you and tells you that he's going to be a pro. How, how do you figure, how do you explain that he got, what, one major Division One scholarship yeah. offer? Is that right? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I think number one, he's young. He he was 17 years old when he got on our campus uh, as a freshman, so he's young for his grade. Uh, but you know, he did get recruited. I think that's one of the, the the parts of the story that hadn't been told. It's not like we just beat out nobody to get him. He he did have an SEC offer. He had an A10 offers, Conference USA. He got recruited. Uh, but fortunately for us, I think when he came here on his visit. Uh, with the great tradition of, of point guards that we've had come through Murray State, 
Uh, the fa- he's from a small town. I think he was looking for that family atmosphere and then just the tradition of winning. And then I think the final piece of it's the style of play, up-tempo system where the ball would be in his hands and, and get to play with a lot of freedom and make plays. And, and this ended up being the perfect fit for him. So, yeah, he could play anywhere in the country, uh, but, but things happen for the right reasons. This is the best fit for him, and he's taken full advantage of it. And it's one of the great – stories of March and we love these stories and it's the exact reason why I've been doing this series of interviews for as long as I have for the people that have not watched Murray State play out here in the Pacific Northwest and around the country listening to us here on Mitch Unfiltered can you describe his game to them you said he's gonna try to be the first college basketball player to average over 20 25 a game and over 10 assists a game who does he play like? Who does he remind you of when you watch the NBA for our listeners who haven't seen him play just yet? Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible with the comparisons. I mean, I just go, what, what everyone talks about is his athletic of Westbrook, uh, but then his basketball IQ and his passing, uh, you know, guys like Rondo and people like that. But he, uh, he's just the total package, Mitch. He's, he's got the elite athleticism and explosiveness. He can go get his own basket. Uh, whenever he wants, he's a play of ahead of everyone on the floor with his court vision and and basketball IQ. Uh, you know he's six three at the point guard position with a six eight wingspan and monster athlete. So uh, he just does a little bit of everything. And then I think the other part of it is in today's age, you know everyone loves the highlight plays and yeah. and he's put up as many of those as anyone in America. I mean we're at Tennessee Martin earlier this year. He went back door on, on a cut and jumped over a 6'8 guy, cleared <laughs> uh, him. <laughs> He's just a special player. Uh, 36 points, seven rebounds, and three assists in the final game against Belmont. By the way, that's after going five of 19 the first time you played against Belmont and lost to them in your gym. So the question obviously begs, when you see yourself up on that board on CBS on Sunday and everybody goes crazy in Murray, Kentucky, um, my, my, my last two questions for you today are, A, what kind of little number do you think you'll see next to your name? Is it going to be another 12-5 like you were uh, in the West Virginia game a year ago? And then the second question, maybe more importantly, is does he have to have a huge game for you to be able to win? Can you win on his off nights, on Morant's off nights, Coach? Number one, I would expect us to – I could see us going to an 11. We're at 43 in the net right now. Uh, so, so I'd see us right there on that seed line. Uh, number two, fortunately, uh, Jai hadn't had any off nights this year. Uh, he got hurt one game and struggled, but other than that, uh, he's been terrific. But that is one thing. Uh, we're, we're a lot more than just John Morant. He has over 300 assists this year, which I think has happened 10 times in the history of college basketball, and, and he's not throwing those passes to himself. Uh, we've got four guys in double figures. We've got a senior guard, Shaq Buchanan who's the toughest player I've ever coached. He's a winner. Uh, we've got a, a freshman two guard who's in double figures, Tevin Brown. Uh, he's made uh, 84 threes this season. And then we have the big fella, Darnell Coward, who's, who's averaged double figures and, you know, six, eight and a half, 290 pounds, very skilled. And, and then defensively, I think we're third in the country in three-point defense. We've got good balance at both ends of the floor. Uh, so I, I hope we'll get a good matchup and have an opportunity to 
to advance in the tournament. Coach, uh, thanks so very much for being with us. You know, uh, I'm old enough now to have gone back to Billy Kennedy and Mick Cronin yeah. and, and Steve Prome. Uh, they all were guests on our show during this series of interviews, and it's just terrific to to visit with Matt McMahon now, one of the best young coaches in all of college basketball, who, by the way, won over 100 games in his college playing days and went to the NCAA tournament in 2012. So, uh, Coach, thank you very much. Congratulations. Enjoy the heck out of these next four, five, six days till Selection Sunday when you get a chance to see Murray State up there again in lights. And don't ever take it for granted. It's a it's a fabulous opportunity and a terrific accomplishment. Thanks for joining us. Well said. We're very appreciative. I appreciate it, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. So there's 40-year-old Matt McMahon, the head coach of the Murray State Racers of the Ohio Valley Conference. It's his fourth year as the head coach there for the Racers. It's his second consecutive NCAA tournament berth. They lost to West Virginia last year. But this is a team that finished 27-4, and has probably the best player in the entire tournament in John Morant, who's going to average over 25 points and 10 assists a game, one of the first guys ever to do that in college basketball history. They have played big-time opponents. They went to Auburn when Auburn was ranked 7th and lost by 5. They went to Alabama and lost by 6. They have the experience of last year's West Virginia loss. If you are circling a few candidates to be kind of that first-round upset from a 12 or an 11 seed, keep a close eye on Murray State, depending upon who the opponent is, of course, on Selection Sunday. Unfiltered. All right, Jason D. Hamilton, three college basketball coaches headed to the NCAA tournament with lesser prominent programs. Um, there's a lot more where that came from. If you're a patron, if you're not, consider becoming a patron on the Patreon site. I'm putting all the ones that didn't get through and some of the others to the actual episodes of the regular episodes. All of these interviews will be available for patrons on the Patreon site. Uh, let's see here. VIP, VI Pirate Golf wants to know, more golf stories, please. I'd love for you and Jayham to give us your top five Washington courses and the top five that you've ever played. And Mitch, what did you shoot over 72 holes at Augusta National? You want to start with your local top five? You got them? I'll, I'll, I'll let you go first. Okay. And then... I will follow up. All right, what do you want? You want my local top five or Augusta scores? I want, yeah, no, I want your, your local top five. And, and people who heard the last episode that we talked about this know that neither one of us have really spent a ton of time on the eastern side of the mountain. So Right, that's a, for those that's, that, yeah, that, that's a problem, right? Yeah, that's a, yeah. well, for those that are, are hoping that we're going to throw in Wine Valley and Palouse Ridge and others, you're going to be – well, at least for me, you're going to be wildly disappointed because I can't I can't put those in, even though I know they're great tracks. I just never played them. I've never even been to Syncadia. You've made fun of me for that. The e the furthest east that I've played golf, at least in the state of Washington, I've played golf eastern United States. Yeah. Um, is it's literally the TPC Snoqualmie Ridge. <laughs> That's as far east as I've gotten to play golf. I've yeah, been I've I been to mean- Spokane. I sat yeah. in, I sat outside the weasel's office waiting for him to come out to say hello. Never did. Um, and uh, that's a story for another day. But I just have never played golf anywhere east of Snoqualmie Ridge. So you want my first? My yeah, five cool. top Washington courses, and I've thought long and hard about this, and I, I really hesitate because none of us want to – neither of us wants to hurt anybody's feelings here. 
I'm going to go Aldero one, mm-hmm. Sahali two, Seattle Golf Club three, Tacoma Country Club four. And that brings me to either Snoqualmie Ridge, Olympic Gold Mountain, Chambers Bay, or Inglewood Golf Club. I'm going to go, boy, people at Inglewood will be pissed. Um, I I hope they're not listening. Uh, People can't be pissed about that. All right, I'll go go Olympic course at Gold Mountain fifth. So Aldera Sahali, Seattle Golf Club, Tacoma Country Club, Olympic Gold Mountain. One through five, there's mine. All right, we we agree on Aldera. Okay. For sure. Um, Does that mean I have to have you out this summer? Yes, okay. we'd love to. Okay. Aldera, Tumble Creek at Suncadia. Oh, see, I haven't played it. I've heard great things. Yeah, is that the private or the public? It's the private. Okay. Tumble Creek, number two. All right. I haven't played Gamble Sands. Have you played Gamble Sands? I have played Gamble Sands. All right. And Gamble Sands is great. And Gamble Sands, I mean, you can't miss a fairway and you can't miss a green. They're, they're 70 yards wide. And, oh, I mean, I love it's, that. it's a fun, fun, really fun round of golf. And, and it would be on my, one of my most enjoyable rounds of golf ever, but not on my best courses. Okay. Ever All right. In the state. All right. So you're at Aldera and then Tumble Creek, two. And then Sahali. That's three. How about Tacoma? Have you played Tacoma? Yeah, I was going to say Tacoma's probably four, and then probably and probably um, Chambers is five. No Seattle, five, no, no Seattle Golf Club doesn't make the list. So C- Seattle, actually, I, I actually like Seattle better than Tacoma, to be honest with you. So I would actually swap those. So I, I, I apologize to those Tacoma folks. The greens at Tacoma are unreal, but yeah, the experience great. at Seattle is way better. It's just it is way better. Okay. So I'm. Um, I mean, are you just bumping. trying to? Are you trying to kiss up to Chuck Nelson right now? Or are you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no. So I would bump. I would bump. Uh, I would go Sahali, Seattle, um, and then I would, I would bump Tacoma out for a public, which is Chambers, because I just think it's it's unique to this region and something that we don't have, and so I I go Chambers five. Okay. You want to go your top five around the country? I, I I'm I'm worried about doing this. By the way, you you should be worried because the privates that you've played. Yeah, I've been really are lucky. Stunning. Yeah, and it makes me and sound. People, it, it's it makes it really does not sound good on the radio. Or on right, the but you know what? So maybe I, I think shouldn't do people it. Would be, no, no, you should you should do it because it sounds horrible. Honestly, I'm I'm envious of it as well, and and you and I have talked about it, and it's like you know not everybody gets these opportunities, and they're they're unreal, and you've got the. You've got the golden triangle. You've got three, three out of three of the best, and then some. Yeah, but it makes me sound really. It, it just I don't like the way it comes across. So, um, but I don't uh, listen. Are you really worried about how it makes you look? A little bit. I'm a little sensy poo. Okay. I'm a little sensy poo about it. You shouldn't be that. I, I think more than anything, it just gives more conversation to. 99.9% of us aren't going to be able to play the courses that you've played. It just gives more conversation okay. to, hey, okay. what was it like when you played X and Y and okay. Z? Because, I'm, you know, when you and I talk about it, I'm, I'm as curious as anybody. And yeah. I may or may not ever get that chance just like 99.9% of the rest of us. So I think you should talk about it. You want to go first? No. Okay. No. Okay. I uh, I really tormented over this. <laughs> I okay. really did. I really thought about this long and hard because I have been really, really lucky, really 
mm-hmm. really lucky to have played these places. Um, mm-hmm. As I said on an earlier show, uh, I got an opportunity. I was invited to take a little trip to Augusta National a couple of weeks before the Masters a few years ago and play four rounds in two days. That was the highlight of my, and this is pathetic, the highlight, I think, of my athletic career, of my athletic mm-hmm. life. So throw out, throw out the kids being born in my wedding day and, and all yeah, the different things. Um, the time, the two days that I spent at Augusta National, I will never forget. I can tell you every step, every minute, every dinner, every lunch, every, every appetizer, every, every nook and cranny of my, of my cabin on the first hole that I, that I mm-hmm. stayed in. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell you about the matches, uh, mm-hmm. the towels, everything about it. Everybody, everything about the experience was my favorite experience of my life, my favorite sports experience of my life. So that's yep. number one. And then it gets a little hazy because I love all these places. But I guess I would say Augusta won a place called Pine Valley, which is known in <laughs> golf circles that maybe a lot of people that are listening right now may have never heard of. You've heard of Augusta. You've not heard a lot about Pine Valley because they don't have events at Pine Valley. They have a, a, an amateur mm-hmm. event every year. Uh, incredible experience. Um, Cypress Golf Links in the Monterey yeah. area. Monterey Bay across the way from Pebble Beach, I think would be three. Um, an old golf course called Chicago Golf Club in Wheaton, Illinois. Probably the oldest golf course in North America. You'd have to check me on that. I think it is the oldest golf course in North America. I would put fourth. And my fifth, and there are a lot to choose from, a lot. There's a golf course in Nebraska, Jay Ham. Called Sand Hills Golf Club. Have you ever heard of it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I it was designed by Ben Crenshaw and his partner. It's about. I'm tw- not going to ask you. How, I'm not going to ask you how you got there. I'm just going to say okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how I got there. I know. I, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's I know. I got the, tr- it's, in the, it's in the middle, middle of nowhere. So yes, it is. Very good. Somehow. Okay, so you know. Uh, yeah, you have yeah. to fly one place and then drive hours to get there, and then your cell service goes down halfway there. You can't even use cell phones at this place. It's in the middle of Nebraska. It is one of the real treasures that you know. And it's not. And the interesting thing about this is, of all the golf courses that I just mentioned, this is probably easily the newest one. It's not an old, old golf yeah. course. It's only about yeah. if Ben no. Crenshaw designed it. It's only. Yeah. I, yeah. My guess is it's twenty years old, fifteen yeah, years I was old, say 15, yeah. 15, 20 years old. Yeah, it at is the most. It is amazing. It is such an amazing experience in the and the sand hills and all the dunes and. And just the way they, they, they built this golf course, it is fantastic. So that would be my fifth. And I left a lot of honorable mentions off the list that I really, really love, like um, LACC North and San Francisco Golf Club. There's a place in Michigan that no one's ever traveled to called Crystal Downs. And there's just a lot of places. Um, a place in, in, the, in, the, in the mountains of North Carolina called Wade Hampton Golf Club. It's the, it's the golf course that Tom Fazio, a famed designer, calls his home golf course and the one that he, he enjoys the most of all the ones that he designed. I mean, just, I, can mm. go on, I can go on and on. Those, so, but those would be my five. Augusta, Pine Valley, Cypress, Chicago, and Sand Hills. Okay, so uh, I'm going to go, and, and <laughs> people are actually going to recognize the ones that I talk about. Okay, well, that's better. But go ahead. Versus the, the ones that you, you – uh, of, the, of the five that you mentioned – 
everybody's going to know Augusta. And if it depends on how deep you go into golf, will they know the other four? Pine Valley, Cypress, Chicago, San. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. Uh, real golf people would probably know all four, but not everybody would all know the rest of those four. Everybody's going to at least know the – well, I shouldn't say everybody. Everybody's going to know the, the five on my list. Okay. And I'm not going to rank them. I'm not going to rank them. Oh. I'm just going to give them to you. Okay, I'll take the five. Pebble, gonna, Be- Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach has got to be on of the uh, Yes, of the ones I've played that I think are – the ones I've played, all right? Like you said, Pebble Beach is, is certainly on there. The Olympic Club, obviously, U.S. Open there and famed Fantastic. course there in San Francisco where you Fantastic. can actually see San Francisco Golf Club across the way as well as yes. Harding Park and others around yes. Lake Merced. Lake Merced is a good golf course too right there, but go ahead, yeah. It, it is, it is. Um, and as a matter of fact, two weeks ago, I, I think I mentioned to you, I played Harding Park, um, which was fun, and, and there's going to be a, another big tournament there coming up in, in 2020. Yeah. Uh, so, so Pebble Beach Olympic Club, Pasatiempo, which I just played the other yeah. couple of weeks ago, which I, I thought was amazing, and it's uh, Alistair McKenzie, and it, it is, uh, you know, I wish it was under better conditions because I played it in, in wet weather, but it was phenomenal. Um, and then my last two are, are ones that people have played uh, who are listening to this and, and who know Pacific Dunes, Pacific and and um, and Bandon Dunes. I love everything about Bandon. I would play any of those old Mac uh, trails. I'd play them all, but I'm going to say Pacific and Bandon would be the would round out my five. You mentioned Alistair McKenzie for our golf fans. Everybody knows who he is. A non-golf fans, and we've already lost those guys by now. They've already fast forwarded yeah. through this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll tell you a quick anecdote. You heard me say that there's this place in Michigan that no one's ever found called Crystal, Crystal Downs. Downs. Yeah. Yep. It's an Alistair McKenzie. So the story goes that Alistair McKenzie in the 1920s, 1930s, he was designing all these courses like the one you just mentioned at Pasatiempo, and he was west, and I guess he was taking the train. I guess you would take the train in the 20s and 30s. I don't know. Back yeah, east, and he was designing golf courses along the way, and he went, you know, he designed, I think he designed Augusta, did he not? Isn't that an Alistair McKenzie golf course? <laughs> yes, it okay. is. Right. Yes, it is. And so as the story goes, he stopped at Crystal Downs. And he liked to he liked to tie one on. He liked to have a few cocktails, did Alistair McKenzie. And he designed this course for the people at Crystal Downs. And after he left, somebody noticed. He only drew up seventeen holes. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the bag. That's the legend. <laughs> and they had that they had to hire they had to hire his his partner in crime, whatever his name was, to come back and Hey, come back. We we need an 18th hey, you're hole. Missing one. Yes, we missed one. He missed he missed an 18th <laughs> hole because of his drinking. He only uh Can I get a quick thought from you on a couple of things and we'll finish up uh, episode Stewie here with Let's you in it. Vegas, you in Vegas and and me back in in uh in the Northwest. Can you keep track of what's going on in football these last few days? I mean, it's ridiculous. I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't uh I haven't stuck by the the wire but uh uh, Odell Beckham deal, uh, Earl Thomas deal. I mean, it. You know, people make make mention of the NBA trade deadline and the NBA free agency on July one. It, you know, football right now is hot. I mean, 
people are flying around. People are not. People are getting tagged. People are not getting re-signed. I mean, it's a wild, wild deal in the NFL right now. The Cleveland Browns, you just mentioned them, who have not been relevant in how long? Oh, two decades. They signed or traded for the following: is a Cleveland Brown. I yep. mean, close your eyes and visualize Baker Mayfield. I know. That's I can't even him in a Cleveland Brown uniform. I can't even I can't even picture him living in Cleveland. Like he's going to commute yeah. from like L.A. or something. Uh, like every yeah. day he's going to get on a plane and go go to work. I mean, is he really going to live in Cleveland? The the glitzy OBJ. Um, but they get him. They pair him up with Jarvis Landry. They sign Kareem Hunt, who will sit yep. out obviously for a good bulk of the year, but then come back. They get Sheldon Richardson, the former Seahawk. They get Olivier Vernon, who was a great Dolphins player, and then he went up, I think, to the Giants, and now he's a linebacker for the Browns. The Browns are like the talk of the – I mean, the Browns going into the season are going to be the, one of the talk of the, of the NFL, for goodness sakes. Yeah. The, the irrelevant Browns. It's amazing. Le'Veon Bell leaves $14.5 million on the table, Jason – doesn't sign, sits out the whole year, will never get that year back, and then signs for $13 million a year mm-hmm, with the New York mm-hmm. Jets. Nick, Fo- The Jacksonville Jaguars gave Nick Foles four Woo! years, 88 million smackers. If he's, he's a Super Bowl champion. This has got Joe Flacco written all over it. Uh, it's got worse than Joe Flacco written all over it. If, I'll just ask the question. If Nick Foles is worth $22 million before gambling dollars come to the NFL – how much is Russell Wilson worth when gambling dollars comes in and salary caps mm. go way up? Mm-hmm. Do the math on that. Plus. Yeah, 40. Start with a four, man. Start with a four. Um, I was sad to see D. Ford get traded to the Niners. I don't like him in the division because I'm obsessed with the pass rush from Kansas City. How about your boy Earl Thomas? I know. I, I thought he was Dallas-bound for sure. The The fact that he wound up in, uh, in Baltimore was a – a little surprising, but I mean, you know, they've had Ed Reed for years and years and years, and now they get Earl Thomas. Four years, $55 million, 32 fully guaranteed. The broken legs don't cost him a nickel. He gets a big contract. He gets all he wants. He's going to make $22 million in the first nine months. He's playing with the Ravens, and guess what AFC division the Seahawks happen to play next year? <laughs> guess oh, who's coming funny. to CenturyLink Field? Number 29, Earl Thomas in a Baltimore Ravens ugly uniform is coming. He writes, thank you, Seattle, for the love and memories that my family and I will never forget. You know, some of these athletes, when they leave a town after a yep. long run, they write these huge these huge letters that they can't even put on Twitter. they got to put it on their Instagram. they got to take a picture of it because there's just way too many words in it. He yeah, goes, or either he, that or they take something out in the Seattle Times. Right. Yeah, go ahead. He just goes, thank you, Seattle, for the love and memories that my family and I will never forget. And he puts a heart and a, uh, an umbrella with rain emoji. Well, I, I, I will take that over uh, double knuckles or no knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, a couple of uh, Seahawks deals. I don't know whether this, any of this moves you. Michael Hendricks, if he stays out of jail – He's going to sign. He yeah. signed a one-year, four million dollar deal. He's going to have to try to stay out of jail for insider trading. I like that. I like that signing. I, oh, I me do too. Like that. I me liked too. him last year. I mean, I mean, yeah. obviously his was a, a very different white-collar crime. I, I like that signing. Yeah, though. me too. George Fant's back, second-round mm-hmm. tender. 
Um, Quentin Jefferson's back on a fifth-round tender. Remember when they signed Jason Myers to be their kicker and then they cut him for for sea bass, and then he went to New York and became a Pro Bowl kicker, and we had to suffer through the the sea bass era here in the yep. Northwest. Well, guess who's back? Jason Myers is back. Mm. Four mm. years, sixteen million, though he won't see all of it. Kickers never do. And uh, and then J.R. Sweezy, sad news. J.R. Sweezy's going to play with the Arizona Cardinals next year. So we're out on J.R. Sweezy. That makes it even more important that they get D.J. Fluker back in the fold. And right. and my final question to you before we say goodbye on episode Stewie is Huskies. Give me just a thought on the Huskies. We know now that the Washington Huskies are facing USC in their first game of the Pac-12 tournament. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go today. I guess it's today for a lot of the listeners. I'm going to go find a Zeke's if somebody wants to join me at noon to watch some lunchtime Pac-12 tournament. How's the matchup with USC? How concerned are you about this game? I'm actually, you know. <laughs> You know, either USC or Arizona would have been a good matchup for Washington, um, and and I'm okay with it being um, USC. Benny Boatwright is a problem. He's an NBA player. He came off a, a knee injury last year, but he's a guy that can that can get you 30 a game. Um, you know, had 10 threes in a game earlier this season. Uh, but I, I think I think USC is a bit sporadic, and they don't shoot it well enough. Um, to, to really, really scare me. I think if they get hot, they could be a problem, but I, I think they're undisciplined enough that Washington can keep them at bay. So I, I like the matchup for the Huskies. More than anything, it's really about Washington take care of Washington. If, if, they, if they hold a team under 60 points, certainly under 70 points, and can just figure out a way to score, because that, that was the problem against Oregon. You know, they just shot it horribly. If, if they can score 70 points, uh, you know they're going to be they're going to be right there. So just don't turn it over. Um, you know, figure out a way to get past the pressure of USC. Lock them down defensively and and move on to Friday. I, I like them. I like them getting to the next round against either Colorado or Oregon State, who would be the uh, the the four versus five in their bracket. I kind of feel like it's an all or nothing thing for Washington, and I'm probably wrong about this. I'll probably be proven wrong, but it seems to me that they could be a little tight because they're not playing well and they're hearing they're hearing little whispers of their NCAA mortality if is there mortality and people are wondering sure. what's wrong with the Huskies and I kind of feel like they'll come out a little tight against USC but if they should get through it it'll maybe release the shackles and yeah. they'll be able to play a little more footloose and fancy free I almost think that if they win the first one they're going to win all three all or nothing All right did wow. you enjoy episode Stewie yeah, I, I did. I, I'm 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 wondering whether or not uh, I'm wondering whether or not we should we should host a golf tournament. You and I. We should, and we will. There's lots on my plate. Oh. There's lots oh. and lots and lots of ideas on the paper. Uh, I want you to have a great great time. Forget Mitch unfiltered while you're there. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy the games. Enjoy Vegas for however you can enjoy it. And. Uh, Let's visit again. Maybe there'll be reason for a patron episode. Maybe there won't be. We'll just kind of play that by ear. But thank you. Thanks for putting up with us and enjoy Las Vegas and travel safe. And by the way, if you see Hopkins, yes. see if you can if he's willing to call us for a few minutes on Sunday night after he finds out who he's playing for the Monday episode number 31. 31. On I'll check in with Cam him. Chancellor. Yeah. Let's uh let's yeah. do that. Okay? Have a great time. All right. All right. Episode Thanks, episode 30. Episode Stewie is in the books.